Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Viking Age podcast. It's the official podcast of thevikingage.com. My name is Chris Shad. I write for the Viking Age as well as Bring Me the News, Zone Coverage, and the Brookings Register. And we do this every Monday with a late week episode right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel. We're also on Apple and Spotify the very next day. But however you consume us, make sure you rate, comment, like, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode and we can send the word to the masses. Today's guest, he is an NFL draft and college football analyst for Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. He is also a contributor for Fantasy Football Weekly. He has a very impressive collection of college football helmets, as you can see behind him. And a very sick dino going in NCAA football 14. His name is Thor Nystrom. What's up, Thor? Welcome to the show. Hey, man. It's good to be with you, Chris. Yeah, and it's awesome to have you on. Uh, I know you're busy at work. You got you're working on your bowl previews. The bowl season actually already started. And uh, I've been I wanted to run this by you as a college football analyst. I have this idea. We got four teams in the playoffs right now. What if we decided? to expand it to 12 teams and like alter the universe and like shake things up a bit. I, I mean, I don't know. There might have to be some extra work involved and you know, but I, I mean, what, what do you think here? 12 teams. Why not? Chris, um, that's a great idea. I'm going to bring it to the powers that be and I can guarantee you, I will get it done for next year. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we can get like a power five undefeated champ in there. I know it's pretty hard for them to get into that, but you know, you know what I'm saying here. <laughs> for sure. This would have uh, been a good year for the expanded playoff. Uh, at least expanding it to six would have been nice for this year. But of course, we're going to get the 12 next year. But uh, very excited about that. For sure. We need so, it. So, of course, this is a Vikings podcast, the Viking Age podcast, and you are a draft analyst. So the reason I had you on is to assess some of the Vikings rookies at this point of the season. Um, let's start on the defensive end, because one of the guys, the home runs that you hit with this draft process is Ivan Pace Jr. You had him as number two on your overall UDFA board this season. Pace racked up 137 tackles, 21 and a half for loss, 55 pressures in 12 sacks during his final year at Cincinnati. He was the top graded FBS linebacker by PFF, number three run defense, number one in pass rushing grade. And all he's done this year is 77 tackles, two and a half sacks and an interception. Um, He's pretty good at football and yet yeah. he went undrafted. So why do you think scouts missed on Ivan Pace Jr. this year? There's a lot of lessons to learn from that. He he was dominant in college, but he got nicked for a couple of things. I mean, no, number one, coming up from the G5, uh, that was mitigated for me a bit that Cincinnati had played some really good teams during his career there. They made the playoff that one year, and they, they played power five teams as well. He played well in those games. But then the other thing, it was the lack of measurables. You know, I, I think he was 55 to 60th percentile athlete. And, you know, he has that sawed off kind of frame. But the thing is, you know, again, lessons to be learned. 
a lot of times evaluators they start honing in on the the nitpicks or the the holes in the eval they start zeroing in and concentrating on their question marks as opposed to just what is this kid good at like what do we know 1000% is going to translate and with Ivan Pace where i really disagreed with the NFL is he 1000% bare minimum and from day one was going to be a banshee on special teams if nothing else right and then he, you know, you could have him as a depth linebacker, bare minimum. The the way that Kip, you know, we've seen him now on the field in the NFL at the Vikings this year, but he's just a terror coming downhill. The the kid's fearless. He bounces off of blocks and he tends to get home. So if he's coming forward, and again, you, you watch his film at Cincinnati, coming forward, he was just great there, and and you knew he was the, the viability was there. Well, that is worth what a minimum of a six round pick. If you know the kid's going to be awesome on special teams and provide the depth, that that's what confused me. I, I think I ranked him as a, or graded him as like a fourth rounder, uh, you know, it's, it's somewhere in that that sort of uh, range, maybe, I think early fourth round. And the reason why is I thought he had a better shot to start in the NFL than, than you know, obviously the NFL turned out uh, thinking by and large during that draft process. Uh, and, and that's come to fruition. But yeah, that that's where I disagreed with, with on Evan Pace with the NFL. Like, do you think that, how much is this a Brian Flores product? Because Brian Flores has pretty much created a defense from scratch using some Patriots concepts, some concepts from the University of Pittsburgh. Like if Ivan Pace goes somewhere else, he said he could be a banshee on special teams, but is he this good in a different defense? Probably not. And we probably don't see him right away, right? Because I seen that kid dominate in college over multiple years, I do think he would have figured it out, gotten onto the field, you know, wherever he went uh, eventually. But obviously with the Vikings and, and entering this, you know, terrible linebacking core, that helped him out to get onto the field that, you know, also him being good. But to your point, He's also a fabulous fit with Flores. And, and that was one thing that like immediately caught my eye of like some of the defenders they were honing in on. And if you know Pace's game and then, you know, Flores' prerogative, it's like this, this is going to work, um, you know, and, and and obviously ends up winning the starting job right away. But what I'm talking about is, is Evan Pace is one of the more aggressive linebackers we've seen come out the last couple of years. Not the most physically gifted, but again, you know, just screaming downhill, um, he doesn't mind taking on 325 pound guards. Like, I mean, he will go right into the dude, it, whatever the assignment is, he throws his body around, you know, it's like a gladiator out there and Flores, the way that he runs the thing, you know, as we see this year, Vikings have what the highest blitz rate in the NFL. They also have the highest drop eight rate. The part of the blitzing and the aggression coming downhill, all that sort of stuff that is translated. We've seen that. The, the way that Ivan Pace has impressed me has been even better than I thought he would be is in coverage. Now, he he still has work on that, but, uh, you know, to do on that, obviously, he's not a finished product. But I thought that was the area that he was going to struggle in the NFL was coverage. And to this point, he's been, been pretty solid. In fact, you know, looking at the PFF grades, he is the number one uh, Vikings defender in terms of coverage grade, regardless of position, 82.3. They obviously send him forward a lot, but he has been targeted uh, 32 times and he takes the guy down right away. Right. Like, you know, if if if, if the completions around him, he's taking the dude down right away. There's very little uh, yardage and, and yardage overall given up. So um, but yeah, uh, very good fit in the defense. Let's move on to the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, a more ballyhooed pick. Uh, I don't even know if I pronounced that word right, but you're going to have to bear with me there. You did. Uh, 
Ballyhooed pick Jordan Addison out of USC. He's got 62 catches, 824 yards, and nine touchdowns during his rookie season. On Saturday, he had six catches, 111 yards, and two touchdowns against the Cincinnati Bengals. He is on pace to be the third rookie wide receiver in Vikings history to get 1,000 yards, along with uh, two guys you may have heard of, Randy Moss and Justin Jefferson. What do you think has made Addison such a great fit for Kevin O'Connell's offense? It's it's the technician stuff and the route running stuff. He has a really good feel for it. Um, you know, both in in terms of just the the coverage feel, getting the cushion different stuff like that, the footwork, um, all that sort of stuff. And then in in the zones, finding the soft spots in them. You know, he's showing that he he's also a creative guy. When the play starts to break down, you know, like knowing what to do, breaking off your route, making yourself available to the quarterback. That's the stuff that's impressed me. That's why he's been able to get on the field right away and produce. He's going to get better as time goes along, um, you know, as the game sort of fleshes out and his role in the offense does once Jefferson comes back. It's been hard for a lot of these skill guys the last, what are we up to now, five or six games that they've had to play without Cousins. It's obviously depreciated the viability of the offense overall and by extension, the, the skill players, they're not put in as good of situations. And we haven't seen as much of Addison playing next to Jefferson as we wanted either. But when Jefferson comes back and you can't double cover uh, Addison, you can't roll the coverage to him at all. A lot of times, if Jefferson going to be on the other side, you know, they, you got a single high look there. Addison's going to be free on, on the other side, just has to be the, the one uh, corner that's on him. And it's really hard to stay with Jordan Addison a particularly a man coverage because of his footwork. And again, his feel, the way he sets up defenders. Um, one of the things that impressed me, you know, both at Pitt where he won the bullet in the cough when he was playing with Pickett and then the the next year at USC with Caleb Williams uh, last season. Uh, it, it, you know, not only the, the route running tech, technician stuff, he has a, a cleverness to it that you don't really see with collegiate receivers where you could see early in the game, he would beat a guy on one concept you know, let, let's say it's eight yards and then you're going to break in, right? Well, then later in the game, you know, the teams that, you know, it's around the same position of the field, around the same down and distance. He does this really clever thing where he he's running the same route and it looks the exact same. against the exact same guy, deeks it the one way and just hard out the other way. He, he, he has a really good understanding of what, you know, both with the corner doing, but then also in that moment, how do I play chess with this guy when he's only playing checkers with me? He's just trying to match my my footwork, whatever. He's got the memory of that last play. You just give the, the corner enough rope essentially to hang himself. And you see that so often with Addison. That's why he's open all the time. On the other side of the ball, not to give you a whiplash here, we're going offense, defense, offense, defense. But Makai Blackman, a third round rookie out of USC. Uh, his man coverage grades by PFF were off the chart prior to the draft process. When I was doing a mock back in March, you know, I saw that. I'm like, wow, this guy's a great fit for Flores' defense. I had him going in the sixth round. He goes in the third round. I know his controller unplugged or whatever on that last T. Higgins touchdown on Saturday. <laughs> but uh, what have you liked about Makai Blackman in his rookie year? That's well said. That's a yes. <laughs> That's exactly what that was. Yeah, uh, Makai, just keep your head in the play till the very end. Slap that ball up. The, the best part was he slapped that ball up. His his comment was, "Oh yeah, my bad." Like that's like a Kadarius Tony thing. Like, "Oh my bad, I was two yards offside." Sorry, guys, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, is like Kadarius Tony, he's been known. I mean, going back to the start at Florida, his whole career for that sort of lack of days of call sort of thing, playing and play out. But Blackman is is a dog. 
Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, his whole thing, I mean, fighting until the bitter end. My my biggest issue with him coming out was fights a little bit too much with the hands on the routes down the field. That was really it. I mean, he's super duper sticky in coverage and he's very aggressive as well. He, so he has that, that fully fleshed out thing. Um, some of the technical things he's still working on, but um, a pretty solid start for him. You know, he'd been the, the Vikings best corner this season. Um, the tackle grade, very good on him as well. The, the efficiency and the tackle rate, different stuff like that. He he is impressed in, in year one. Uh, there have been isolated plays where you scratch your head or you get frustrated. But for a, for a late third round rookie cornerback, you're getting bang for your buck right now. And he's only going to get better. Um, looking on to, you know, I, I mean, I feel like this has been a successful draft class. You know, with the contributions they're getting from Addison, from Pace, from Makai Blackman, there might be another player to step up here as as we move along. But comparing to last year's class, you know, Ed Ingram's <laughs> taking a small step forward, very small, but he's serviceable. Uh, a Caleb Evans has been set solid in the secondary. Ty Chandler broke out. Uh, but then you still have Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth, Brian Asamoah. Those guys might not be on the team last year. Like, why do you think there was such a huge gap between this year's draft class and last year's draft class? I'm sure Quasey would say, oh, you know, you know, learning curve and, you know, second year, you know, like what that sort of stuff, like I progress, whatever. I, I think that's a part of it, you know, just in terms of like in the moment when you're on the clock making the decisions. But he also made wonky decisions even outside of the selections in that first uh, draft uh, where it seemed like he went in with ideas of like, I'm going to do this. And even when the the tide started to change and scenarios that perhaps you couldn't have envisioned before the draft started presenting themselves the Vikings, it, it felt like he stayed myopic and sitting dead right on on sort of like under the auspices of the idea that he came into the draft with. And, you know, the the biggest example of this obviously was they were obviously going to take a safety seeing as though they seeing as though they they pun intended. I see uh, what you did there. <laughs> yeah, did, did at the very end of the first round. Kyle Hamilton wasn't projected to follow the Vikings in most mock drafts that were out there in advance. I, I, I imagine the Vikings front office didn't think that either. And maybe that went into the idea of, of let's trade down. But Kyle Hamilton falls to you. And instead of just taking the gift that the universe gives, Kyle Hamilton was incredible at Notre Dame. He's one of the best collegiate safeties I've seen in the last 10 years. The idea that he wasn't going to be an immediate stud in the NFL was you know ridiculous. Like the kid was going to translate whatever. And and instead of doing that, you trade down and basically, you know, the trade, I mean, th this is dumbing it down just a bit, but it essentially became you're trading Kyle Hamilton for Louis Seen, uh, Ingram and um, Booth. Right. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, when, when you sort of come out in the watch, th there was a couple, you know, ancillary later on things. And and obviously it set up the trade down where you let the Packers come up and get Watson, you know, and, and different stuff like that. But that's not a transaction. I mean, like, I'll put it this way. If the Ravens called, or, or we'll, we'll do it the other way around. If Quasey called the Ravens and said, hey, guys, uh, I'm interested in Kyle Hamilton. I'll offer you a Louis C. and Andrew Booth and uh, Ed Ingram. They would they would laugh and hang up. So, you know, <laughs> that was an unfortunate thing. And then in, in that first draft, you saw sort of a, a leaning of Quasey to try to shoot for upside on, on guys who had the athletic gifts but then had been nicked up with injuries during their career, or they had, you know, one question or a couple questions about their eval that made them high variance prospects. So it seemed like, uh, you know, for, for the, the uh, you know, his financial background, 
it seemed like he was going uh, all in on some penny stocks in terms of that, you know, these high variant stocks and whatnot. And it didn't work out. And you had a sure investment bet that fell to you and, and you didn't take that. Whereas this last time around, there wasn't as much of that. And and again, learning from your mistakes, Jordan Addison, he didn't, he doesn't, he's not the most physically gifted dude. You know, I mean, he's, he's stick thin, uh, not super tall. Uh, he's not a burner out there. You know, the, the testing was, was, you know, decent, but not, not great, whatever. But all the, the other aspects of the wide receiver craft is the stuff that Jordan Addison excelled at things like the route running, the field, the setting up the cornerback. I mean, your goal as a receiver is just not to be covered and then catch the thing when it comes in. Jordan Addison is crazy good at the first one, bare minimum. Right. Um, so, you know, you were accepting perhaps in taking him, this guy is not going to be a uh, top three receiver in the league at any point. I, I don't I don't think he will be. But he was basically guaranteed of being an awesome number two, in particular with, with the team with Justin Jefferson for a very long time. And on other teams, you know, could develop into the number one. Um, and so, you know, it was just decisions like that going for the the sure things that cause certainty. Um, and, and that has ended up paying off so far. So, of course, as we look ahead, 2024 quarterback class, you got Kirk Cousins, a free agent. Vikings, not really sure what they're going to. I don't think they're going to re-sign Josh Dobbs. That that might be a stretch. Uh, Nick Mullins, all right. I, I mean, he, he's functional, but probably not a guy you want to roll into. Beginning of the year, we thought this was a loaded quarterback class. So when the Vikings started one and four, we all kind of sat there and be like, lean into it. Go get somebody. Like, there, there's all these quarterbacks out there. Now it looks like there's two surefire prospects in Drake May and Caleb Williams and a lot of question marks behind them. So has this quarterback class turned out weaker than you originally thought? Or what do you think is the best option for the Vikings going into 2024? Yeah, it's I, I go both ways on that because, you know, I mean, th there was, you know, sort of the bonanza idea. Like if, if Ewers hadn't gotten injured and then Ewers had just shredded it this year, um, Ewers reminds me a lot of Matthew Stafford. They, they both It doesn't make sense how the ball comes out, just detonates out of their hand. And they both have that weird you know, three quarter arm slot thing and they flick their wrists and it's like a bullet coming out every single time. Um, but Ewers, we were hoping would make the leap. If he would have declared, and this is the reason that he didn't, he would have gone on day two, you know, and then you have to face a little bit of a more up uh, uphill battle. Whereas next year, good bet he's going to be around one pick, assuming he doesn't get injured and has a decent season. Then of course he had Riley Leonard go back, um, you know, like a couple of different guys like that. But I still, you know, on, on the other end of it, I, I th still think this is going to be a really, really good quarterback class, um, you know, better than the last couple of years, certainly. First of all, Caleb Williams at the top, people are going to nitpick him because USC as a team wasn't good this year. That wasn't on Caleb Williams. Uh, they Their wide receivers were mediocre. Uh, they're not going to have a wide receiver that gets picked round one, round two, like whatever, probably not even round three. We'll have to see where that Brennan Rice kick goes. But the other guys, just ancillary, you know, just mad kind of guys. And then, of course, the defense was terrible. And the offensive line wasn't very good either. So, like, Caleb Williams is a stud. I would take him. In, unless it's the – Caleb Williams wouldn't be a great fit for the Vikings uh, just because uh, O'Connell loves his quarterbacks to play in structure so much. Whereas Caleb Williams is, you know, he's more of like the um, – you know, people comp him to Pat Mahomes. He's not like Pat Mahomes. But, like, it's the same thing in terms of, like – you know, extending the play and then you you want to shoot the ball downfield, stuff like that. But, you know, other guys like Kyler Murray or Bryce Young, they're out of structure quarterbacks. That's what Caleb Williams is. But he's a he's a great prospect. So is Drake May. You know, a lot of people know about Drake May. Uh, Justin Herbert comp on him. Uh, he's got the big arm to get it downfield. 
and he also has rushing utility. Um, pocket presence about him. He's not, you know, looking to tuck or run. He's definitely a thrower, but he's one of those guys, things break down. He doesn't have an option. He makes the correct one. He doesn't force it into coverage. He doesn't take the sack. Um, he'll find that little crease and, and shoot out of there. Really like his pocket game, and he's been playing for a while. Um, I, I think he's going to run the 40 probably right around where Williams does. You know, j- just if you're looking at that, and, and Drake May is big. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The the measurements I got on them from the pre-dressed over the summer, 6'4 and a half, 225 on May. We'll have to see what he comes in at. But then uh, the reason that I I, I wouldn't poo-poo this quarterback class, Jaden Daniels is legitimate uh, top 10, uh, top 15 at worst prospect at this point. He can do, he's an interesting prospect. Uh, Daniels, you know, more people are going to get into him. Some people that, you know, watch college football, I've seen him obviously won the Heisman this year, whatever. But when people who haven't like watched his tape get into him, um, they're going to be really interested in him because it's it's this specific thing where he has the legs. He's been, you know, going back four years, he started for, as a true freshman for Herm Edwards, former NFL coach at Arizona State. And then he's got a really good deep ball. And so those are the two things that were sort of, you know, he he always sort of had the touch on the deep ball with the mobility. But the, the stuff he struggled with earlier in the career was the intermediate uh, accuracy, um, some of the pocket presence, but definitely reading the field in conjunction with that. Um, just didn't have the, the best awareness of that, you know, things were going too fast for him, whatnot. And so you took away the short and the intermediate passing game. And then he just had these, these two polarities that he was good at. And, and some of those teams around him, he didn't get the most help later on. And so it, it didn't work out the best. His first year at LSU was certainly better this year where he really took off. It was the pocket presence thing, knowing when to, you know, hold him and fold him. And w- the second he knew it wasn't there. That's when he looks to get around uh, the edge and 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 he can rip off a whole bunch of yards. But he wasn't tucking and running early. He wasn't missing opportunities because of that. And he knows because of his legs, I can stay in there until the last possible second to heave that thing downfield. If something you know it becomes available there, there was an interesting story. I I had heard this uh, beforehand, but there was a story that came out nationally in the last couple of weeks that that was talking about this LSU has this thing where they put their quarterbacks and it's like a you know fighter pilot simulation thing where they they see like they basically play the game in advance of it you can see all the different defenders they give you different coverage looks right you know what the play you're gonna run whatever you know it's like being you know like a fighter pilot or a golf simulator or whatever yeah and then 
and then the, you know the defense thing is called and it's like, but he doesn't know what's coming right and it, you know it could be a, a, a zero blitz or whatever or it could be we're dropping eight or it could be this or it could be that and so he he was playing this thing playing this thing he got so good at it that what I was told was they sped the thing up by the end to two and a half times normal speed so Daniels was becoming like friggin Neo reading the defenses you know where everyone is like it was all fast forward and he'd be like him 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 run him 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 um and, and so that's how it really slowed down from on the field this year and you could really tell that again there was zero panic in the kid whatsoever and because of that it improved his short and intermediate accuracy in conjunction with it first of all the defense already has to play off it because you must respect his deep ball he's just really really good at that but then also the fact that he wasn't losing his mechanics or his mind you know, as, as the pass rush came in, whatnot, um, you, you allowed yourself to keep the base and then throw a, a more accurate pass. So his game really shot up. Um, he's going to be QB three, I think. But McCarthy is the other round one guy potential to keep an eye on. A lot of people aren't talking about him yet because Michigan didn't play a bunch of teams this year. A lot of teams where they could just run the entire time, whatnot. I really like J.J. McCarthy's game. He's he's the fourth guy that I think could get into round one. Needs the the a strong showing in the playoff, I I think to lock that in. But if he has a good showing in the playoff, I think he's your fourth uh, quarterback in round one. I think that's how it's going to shake out. So I know you got a hard out here. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close out with you, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Viking Lions and close this podcast out. But before I let you go, you know what's going on at Fantasy Pros, and where can people follow you on uh, social media? We're doing uh, uh, bull, all the bull stuff, uh, you know, th- this month, uh, the opt-out tracker, the the breaking down the picks. We got shows on the Betting Pros YouTube channel, everything like that, breaking down all the bowl games, giving out all the picks. And then after the national title game, you know, bowl season is one of my favorite seasons. Uh, my next favorite season is draft season. So we're flipping it over to that. We'll be at the Senior Bowl, Fantasy Pros, will doing that kind of stuff. And and then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll work towards our 500 player big bar, 500 comps by the end of the process. But yeah, check out the draft stuff. Awesome. Hey, Thor, thanks for your time. Appreciate all the knowledge you're dropping. And uh, I'm excited to see all the work you're going to do for draft season, man. Uh, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. So that is Thor Nystrom, our weekly guest on the Viking Age podcast. Now, we, we got a little bit of time to go here on the Viking Age podcast. So I'm just going to go ahead and talk it off. Um, Thor, if you're still on, you can log off whenever you're ready. Don't feel like I have to uh, wrap you up or anything, but, um, we are a little bit different today because we had a little bit of technical difficulties and issues logging into the normal streaming service. So this is the Viking age. So if I'm looking to the side or whatever, or there we go, I got you, I got you right in the middle now. So if I'm looking down or whatever, I apologize in advance, but, uh, the Viking age podcast, we do this twice a week, usually got an episode on Monday with a late week episode. Of course, this is the latter which means it is our opportunity to preview Sunday showdown with the Detroit Lions. The Vikings, of course, hosting the Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium. It'll be a 12 o'clock kickoff Christmas Eve. It is a whiteout. So if you're going to the game, wear white. I had a chance to go to the whiteout last year, but uh, there literally was a whiteout in South Dakota that uh, weekend. So I was not able to go. I was pretty bummed out, but Obviously, it wound up being a cool atmosphere. TJ Hawkinson with a big game, that big catch of the touchdown. And then Greg Joseph with the 61-yard field goal to beat the New York Giants. Of course, in revisionist history, we would have wished that would have happened like two, three weeks later in the playoffs. But um, here we are. So the Vikings right now, 7-7. and They're the sixth seed in the NFC. 
They're going to take on the Lions, who are having one of the best seasons since, I think it's like 1962, right? They haven't won the division since Tampa Bay was in there. It was the NFC Central. You got Dan Campbell there. He's biting off kneecaps, chugging venties, all that stuff. Lions got a lot of good vibe. The Vikings basically need to win two of their last three games to make the playoffs. They'll play Detroit twice. So you got to, you know, do simple math here. You have to beat them once. Here's why I'm concerned. Dan Campbell has done a tremendous job against the Vikings in his career. And Viking fans know, like, we all think Dan Campbell's a meathead. He's a pretty damn good head coach. Like, I I, I know some coaches are like the tactical, you know, analyst. Like, there's Kevin O'Connell, right? And he's sitting there and he's like numbers, outcomes, and situations and all that stuff that a lot of us don't understand. Dan Campbell's just like, I don't want to call him a cheerleader. But like, he's a guy that can walk in a room and like, you want to like go kill a guy for him. That's probably like a bad example, but, but you know what I mean? Run through walls, do all those football stuff. Like Dan Campbell motivates the lions and that's, what's been behind their turnaround. They have a great offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson, Amon Ross St. Brown, really the Vikings let him took off in that uh, meeting at Ford field a couple of years ago where I think he had like 11 catches and that walk-off touchdown from Jared Goff. Jared Goff is playing out of his mind. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people shit on him because they think, well, Jared Goff failed with the Rams. Sean McVay didn't want him and all that stuff. The guy was a number one overall pick. So he knows how to play football. Does he have some flaws? Yeah. But, but I mean, at the same time, he knows how to get the job done. And this Lions team has been tremendous indoors. They're averaging about 36 points per game indoors, 23 on the road. This is a tough challenge for the Vikings, especially with Nick Mullins. Vikings are going to go ahead with Nick Mullins. They're going to start him. Um, You know, a lot of people want Jaron Hall. And, And when I think about this whole thing, like you have to go back with what the Vikings intention was with Jaron Hall when they drafted him in the first round of last year's draft. Like Hall was not supposed to see the field this year. He's supposed to be a developmental project. He's one of those guys you kind of develop and bring up. And if he's good, he's got a ceiling as a backup. Like people forget the guy is 25 years old. He was in a football mission or not a football mission, but a mission uh, for BYU. I I think they, I I don't know the exact specifics. So don't quote me on this, but BYU requires their athletes to take a mission. And that is why Jaron Hall is an advanced age. Um, I'm not sure if he took advantage of the COVID year. He might've, but Hall is a good quarterback. He's got a decent arm. He's got decent mobility. If you look at his big time throw percentage and his turnover where they play presented for BYU, they're pretty good. Obviously the professional game, a lot different than the collegiate game. And I think Vikings fans who want to see Jaron Hall out there. And I, I was part of the group on Saturday when Nick Mullins was turning the ball over. So I'm, I'm not completely innocent here but the only reason Darren Hall saw the field is because every quarterback in front of him was either hurt or just acquired via trade you know you had Kirk Cousins towards Achilles Nick Mullins had a back injury uh Josh Dobbs just got there he was traded like three or four games before the Falcons game right and then Darren Hall steps in he has that good opening drive suffers the concussion Josh Dobbs steps in and we haven't seen him since the preparation that went into getting jo- or uh, excuse me Jaron Hall ready for that Falcon game was incredible and Kevin O'Connell talked about it when he was talking to the broadcast team before the game you know they had to put in Josh Dobbs and O'Connell had to dumb it down like Thor just got done saying 
He wants his quarterback to play in structure. And you could make the argument that Kevin O'Connell might need to adapt a little bit more to the quarterback that he has under center. But Josh Dobbs's downfall was that when he needed to stand in the pocket, process information and make a throw, he couldn't do it because a, he wasn't accurate enough. And B, I mean, he's a very smart guy. He processes things very well, but I mean, that it's just a lot of intangibles that are holding Josh Dobbs back from being a quarterback because if he was good, you know, maybe the Cardinals are sitting there going like, ah, Kyler Murray. Yeah, we owe you a lot of money, but this Dobbs guy is pretty good. I mean, the Cardinals gave him away for free. If you don't remember, like, I think it was a sixth and seventh round pick swap uh, in next year's draft. So it, it was not a lot to acquire Josh Dobbs. And when that's happened, the other team knows something that you probably don't, which is not like slamming the trade at all. I think it was a trade they had to have made because they were four and four or whatever it was and trying to get in the playoffs at that point. I have no issues with that Josh Dobbs play, but to throw Jaron Hall out there and just let him sink or swim, it's kind of Kellen Mond all over again. And not to say that Jaron Hall is the same prospect as Kellen Mond, because I didn't think Jaron or Kellen Mond was a good prospect coming out of Texas A&M. Yeah, he had that he had that throw in his pro day where he went to his right and he chucked it like 50 yards down the through. Every prospect has that at their pro day. You will see it three or four times during this draft prospect process coming up in the next couple of months. So that was not impressive to me. What what Mond's issue was, he was not accurate and he did not process information well. I don't know about Jaron Hall. I really don't like whatever Kevin O'Connell sees in practice. That's what he sees. And and if Vikings are in a playoff race, which again, they are right now, they're a six seed, like throwing Jaron Hall out there. That that is like, you know, we're mad at Kevin O'Connell for running back to back quarterback sneaks when they had like an 87 and a half percent conversion rate during the season. Like what would happen if they just tossed Jaron Hall out there? Like, and he throws like four picks. Like, what are what are you doing, man? Why why is the Nick Mullins out there? It, it's a no win situation for Kevin O'Connell, especially since Kirk Cousins got injured. So you're rolling with Nick Mullins. He's got the turnover problem. You just gotta live with it and hope he makes more good plays than mad plays. This Lions defense is exploitable. They're they're not great. They're gonna get Chauncey Gardner Johnson back uh, in the near future. I don't think it's this week. The Vikings defense, on the other hand. Sounds like they're going to get Jordan Hicks back. Uh, He's been expecting to play in this game. He had that compartment syndrome issue, which is like crazy. He basically what happened, if you hadn't heard, he bruised his shin so bad that it like swelled up and basically like it cuts off all circulation. And it's just like kind of like squeezing the life like a boa constrictor or something like that is basically what happened in uh Jordan Hicks is late. So they basically had to cut him open, relieve the pressure and never want that to happen, especially in the shin. Like a shin bruise just sounds painful enough. And then it's like, yeah, um, pins and needles, fetal position, crying. Uh, and that's an NFL player saying it's not like me or you like, oh, yeah, it was horrible. No, it's like an NFL player who like, you know, NFL players back in the day, they would cut off their fingers like Ronnie Lott, like ah, whatever. It's just my pinky. Cut it off. Um, they're tough. They're very tough. So you get Jordan Hicks back on the defensive side for the Vikings. Um, Brian O'Neill. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the practice report since we are recording this on Wednesday. I don't think they've had one like uh, yesterday. The Vikings had a full business day at TCO performance center. Normally they have Tuesdays off, but I, I think they want people to celebrate Christmas with their families. Um, I, I say that like, that's a bad thing, but, um, they kind of pushed everything down the line or maybe ahead of day. Whereas normally they would go, 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then they would have Saturday as a travel day or get ready day or whatever and play the game on Sunday. So um, as far as this game goes, I, I don't know, man. Like Nick Mullins at quarterback concerns me a little bit because he does have that turnover problem. Uh, the Vikings have said, or I think Kevin O'Connell specifically said he wants to give Ty Chandler a little bit more run. Um, I am all for that. I am not. I, I'm very careful with my Ty Chandler takes after kind of slamming him because it's kind of like, well, what are you doing here? You said something was wrong. No, I didn't say anything was wrong with Ty Chandler. I said something could be up because Kevin O'Connell hinted that something was wrong with Ty Chandler. And all of a sudden, Ty Chandler sees the field and there's nothing. Now, Cincinnati's run defense, not very good. I think they're in the top 10 in uh, yards allowed and within the top five in yards per carry allowed in the NFL this season. So that could be Ty Chandler taking advantage of a soft matchup. I don't have the numbers on the lines in front of me, but I think the running game is going to have to get going to take pressure off Nick Mullins. You're going to have to find the way to get the ball on Justin Jefferson's had who, hands. We had a solid game, but not a great game. And Jordan Addison, too. Uh, he stepped up. He had that rookie wall. Kind of had a couple of rough games there, but Jefferson returns. As Thor mentioned, that coverage kind of shifts towards JJ. And Addison's seeing a lot of opportunities. Six catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns against Cincinnati. Uh, he is going to be an important part of this game. Now, as I mentioned, Dan Campbell could have a 4-0 record against the Vikings. I know he's 2-2, two two, but you look at the other two losses. The first loss was at U.S. Bank Stadium where they took the lead late. Alexander Madison fumbled, Lions scored, and then Kirk Cousins led a game-winning drive, led to a big Greg Joseph field goal, and Kirk and Mike Zimmer wanted to fight in a back alley afterwards. Great times. Love the Kirk and Zimmer uh, relationship there. But then last year, a game that I attended, the Vikings were down by 14 points twice to Dan Campbell. And then the Vikings came back. Kirk Cousins found, I mean, Dan Campbell could have won the game. I think it was a fourth down late in the fourth quarter, had a chance to convert. Vikings were out of timeout, so they would have just won the game there. Campbell decides to kick the field goal. Vikings come back. Kirk Cousins, KJ Osborne, they wind up winning the game. So as far as the prediction goes, I'm taking the Lions. I, I don't have an exact score in my head, but I just think that Dan Campbell has the Vikings number. Now, Dan Campbell could do something dumb and let the Vikings win this game, I think. But I mean, with the way that offense plays indoors, with the speed that they have, David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, Amon Ross St. Brown, and uh, Jared Goff, basically, you know, Cam, everybody was slamming Cam Newton because, oh, he's a game manager. Well, yeah, he's a game manager. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really, his job is not to take risks and be like, go win the game. It's get the ball to our playmaker. So that is what Jared Goff does. The defense might allow the Vikings to keep in it. And if Kirk Cousins were in this game and a lot of the Kirk haters will love this, I think I'd pick them with Nick Mullins as the starting quarterback. I'm not so sure. So I'm going to say the Lions. I haven't looked at the spread or the over under. So I got to think on this here. I think this is my favorite score. I'm going to say 31-23 Lions because it has to be decided by one score. The, the, the Vikings cannot decide a game by more than one score. Otherwise, their quarterback gets hurt. And I, I don't want to see anything happen to Nick Mullins. So I don't want that on my conscience. So um, I'm going to say 31-23 Lions. Lions win. Vikings face two must-win games down the stretch unless the NFC just continues to be like, no, we don't want to make the play. No, no, no. Go ahead. Vikings, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. 
super competitive. Yeah, do your thing, guys. Whatever. So again, sorry for the low production value of uh, this late week episode. Some things that we could not control on our end, but a special thanks to Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros for coming on, talking about the Vikings draft class. That's all the time we got for the Viking Age podcast today. We do this every Monday with a late week episode right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel. We're also on Apple and Spotify, so you can listen to this in podcast form the very next day. But however you consume us, don't forget to rate, comment, like, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And we send the word to the masses. Quick programming note, no episode on Monday as it's Christmas Go enjoy the time with your family. Hopefully Santa gives you what you want. Vikings victory. And Adam and I will be back next Thursday. So for Thor Nystrom, I am Chris Shad. This has been the Viking Age Podcast. Podcast.